When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the uh, review for the executive branch. So this covered the president and the executive branch. And, you know, when you think about these things, you would think, oh, we're going to spend a month on the president and then another you know, two weeks on the executive um, offices and things like that. But we really only spent, you know, two weeks. Uh, we spent one week on the president and then another week on the executive branch. And it's just, uh, you know, the standards only call for a few things. So we try and go in depth on those few things, but there's not a, a lot that we have to do. So uh, anyways, if you're looking uh, and trying to prepare, the study guide is on E-Class. It's a Google Doc, uh, and it lists the things for the president to know, and it lists the things for the bureaucracy. Now, I got to reiterate this because, you know, I feel like some people are expecting like some super low-level questions like DK not uh, depth of knowledge one questions where you just, hey, the president uh, is in charge of the military, and then you would pick out commander-in-chief. Those aren't the kind of questions you're going to see. Uh, you're going to have to be able to – there are a few low-level questions, but I, I mix a few of those in. But there's going to be some other questions on there that are you know, going to require you to, to apply what you know about the president as commander-in-chief or what you know about uh, the, the way the Congress controls the, the, the bureaucracy. You, know, you have to apply some of those things. So just keep that in mind. All righty? Uh, okay, so first up, now let's go through the presidential stuff. And they're all kind of interconnected since the president is in charge of the bureaucracy. But the first thing is the formal versus informal powers of the president. So you need to know some of the formal things the president can do. These are the things that are going to be listed in the Constitution. They're sometimes called the inherent powers uh, or, you know, expressed or whatever you want to call them. But these are the things that are there. So the president, first off, is the commander-in-chief. You know, that's something that's listed there. Um, they are going to be have the, the, the chart in charge of the military and be able to, to move troops around and make decisions about where they go and deploy troops places and stuff like that. Uh, they also have the veto power. Now, with the veto power comes the, the pocket veto. I'm not going to spend too much time here because I'll talk about that later on on the study guide, but that's a formal power. It's in the Constitution. You can find that there, okay? Uh, and those are really the two big formal powers that the president have. Remember, the president was not created uh, to be this you know, all-powerful being. Congress was envisioned as the, the powerful uh, branch of the government that really did things. And then the, the president is going to, to really just you know, enforce the laws, which is another formal power. They, they are uh, the chief executive. That's a formal thing. You know, all those things they do, <clears throat> or not all the things they do, but as the chief executive, they're in charge of the bureaucracy. So that's something that's listed as well. So there's a formal power. And then they have informal powers, uh, and there's a long list of these things. And, and some of these things they've just taken as time has gone on, all right? And, and the, 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 uh, the study got lists a few, so the executive orders, agreements, and then the signing statements. Um, those are all informal, all right? The bully pulpit is another informal thing that the president has. Um, so <laughs> they have these powers and these abilities that they're, they're kind of in the Constitution. We could almost go, hey, this is part of the elastic clause, you know, the necessary and proper where Congress is allowed to kind of stretch their powers. Um, but uh, anyway, so the, the, the specific things on the study guide, executive orders, remember these are just directives to the, um, the executive offices. So those are going to be to the agencies that are in charge of enforcing whatever it might be. 
Um, and remember, you know, people consider them to have the force of law. And, and that's kind of true, but it's really just because they're going to the bureaucratic agencies that have those powers and those abilities behind them. So when the president says, hey, do this, well, now they're going to start enforcing it. Okay, and that's what a lot of these things are, is just, hey, this is there. Why don't you go ahead and start enforcing it? And so the executive orders, um, it comes from you know, the fact that they are the chief executive and they're able to, to send those directives. It's almost like a, maybe think of a CEO sending a memo to uh, their VPs uh, in their, their offices and things like that. Hey, I want this done. And then the VPs start to get it, get the stuff done and they send they send out notes to their their employees, and it just trickles down. The executive agreements are similar. <coughs> Excuse me, had a little voice crack there. Uh, the uh, the executive agreements are similar that they are going to be nothing official. All right, in that they are it's not listed in the Constitution, but the president uses their you know, diplomatic powers and abilities to to get this stuff done. Uh, and so these are just agreements with other countries. Now, why would they use this? Well, just like the executive order, uh, they get around Senate approval. So the executive agreements do not have to go through the Senate to get approved. Uh, and so presidents can use these when you know, Congress is against them, when they're divided uh, or whatever, you know, for whatever reason, really. Uh, but typically it's going to be when Congress and the president aren't seeing eye to eye on an issue. And so I need to reiterate, re- executive orders also get around the, the congressional approval. So just keep that in mind for those two things. Uh, the, the Congress does not get to look at those things. Now, what's the importance? Why is that important? Um, well, remember that almost everything else the president does, they have to get Congress approval. If they appoint someone to a judgeship, if they appoint someone as an ambassador or whatever it might be, they have to go through Congress. So the, here are some items that uh, avoids that. Now, like we said in class, remember, this isn't just completely the fact that the president gets to do whatever they want to. You know, Congress can always act on these things. They can always make laws. They can defund stuff. Um, so there are some options that the, the Congress has, and the Supreme Court can rule these things as unconstitutional as well. So it's not you know, the end all, okay, the president is all powerful because of the orders and agreements, but they are, they are helpful. All right, the signing statement is another informal power, and this comes from uh, the fact the president lost the line item veto. So it used to be the president, and some governors have this power still, they can get a piece of legislation, they can read through it, and they say, I don't like this part, let me cross it out. I don't like this part, let me cross it out. Um, this happened in 96 when uh, it was Clinton versus New York. Uh, and he, he, they, the Supreme Court said, no, that's too much of a legislative power. So that got taken away. So instead, the president will do a signing statement. And so this is where they get a read of the bill. And they like some of it, but they, don't, they might not like some parts of it. Now, they can't take that part out, but what they do is they create a signing statement. And basically, this is almost like an executive order, but it's their interpretation of the bill. And, you know, this is how I intend to enforce it. This is how I see it being enforced. And so that goes out to the, so the, the bill or law will go to the bureaucratic agency along with that signing statement. So the bureaucratic agencies now have the, the ability to, to interpret the law themselves, but they also have the president's guidance on how they're going to interpret it uh, or how they're going to, to enforce it and things like that. So it's a, it's a pretty powerful tool. Once again, it's an informal thing. It's not something that they, they formally have. Uh, it comes from their you know ability to and their 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 ability to <clears throat> sign or veto uh, items and parts of um, 
of laws. Okay, so those are the, the that's the part about the formal informal. We'll talk about the bullies, pul the bully pulpit, not the bullies, but the bully pulpit and the veto stuff in just a few minutes. All right, presidential checks on Congress. So the president doesn't have many checks on Congress. The president cannot go in and fire a member of Congress. The president can't withhold money from congressional uh, people. They they just don't have a lot of uh, powers and abilities when it comes to to check. Congress. The big thing that they can do uh, is they can veto that bill. All right. So Congress sends them a bill, and the president can always say, "Ah, veto, not gonna, not gonna happen." Now Congress can always override that, depending upon how strongly they feel about it. But really, the big thing they have is that uh, ability to veto something. Uh, let's see. The president's cabinet. So remember, and this kind of goes in with the bureaucracy as well, because the cabinet, remember, they are the big umbrella. All right. They encompass a huge part or sector of our country, um, of our economy, whatever, whatever it might be. You know, you've got transportation, you've got agriculture, education, uh, veterans affairs. All these things are cabinet positions. And so they have that big overarching uh, item. And so um, the president's cabinet, he, he or she, uh, eventually will have a, a female president, um, they are able to pick the people they want to be in charge of that cabinet, of, of that cabinet position, of that department, of that sector. All right, so the president picks who they want to be in charge of education, who they want to be in charge of uh, the, the foreign affairs with the secretary of state and whatnot. And um, those individuals are then going to be kind of the the go between between the president and those bureaucratic agencies that are in charge of enforcing whatever it might be uh, that they're in charge of. All right, and so it varies. You know, some uh, the president really relies heavily on some of the positions. You know, like the Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, the president and the Secretary of State work and meet all the time because there's always something going on there. The president and the Veterans Affairs, eh, maybe not so much, okay? Because uh, while it's something that's important, it might not be something that needs a daily meeting or a weekly meeting or a monthly meeting. So, you know, there's varying levels there of how much influence these positions have on the president. All right, the appointments. Remember, the president gets to appoint all kinds of people. They appoint ambassadors to different countries. They appoint judges. <coughs> Excuse me. They appoint the cabinet positions. Uh, there's a whole book out there, the Plum Book, that lists every position the president is going to have to go through and appoint. So remember, some of them are going to be more contentious than others. Uh, you've seen this type of question uh, before. Um, but uh, <clears throat> remember, the judgeships, specifically the Supreme Court justices, there's going to be a lot of issues because they have lifetime terms. So you appoint somebody, and that person is going to be there a long, 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 long past your term. You know, the people that Trump picked uh, between 2017 and 2020 are going to be there for 20, 30, 30 years. You know, Trump won't be, be around. Uh, the person that Biden has picked, uh, she goes into, she, she'll start working this, this Supreme Court session whenever that opens up soon. You know, uh, she'll be there well past Biden's term. And so these positions, the Supreme Court justices specifically, are going to have a huge influence on the country, and they're going to, to last well past the presidency. So that's why those things can be contentious. All right, the bully pulpit. The bully pulpit is <clears throat> just this, the president's platform. 
okay? And you just need to understand the president has a larger platform than anybody else in this country. Well, there are probably some celebrities that might have a bigger platform. But as far as politics go, the president is going to have the biggest platform. Um, They have more national followers than uh, any other congressperson or judge or bureaucrat or anything like that. Okay, Um, They call a press conference. The entire country, the entire world is going to pay attention probably depending upon what they're talking about, versus some random congressperson that calls a press conference, they're going to get a little bit of media coverage, but nowhere near the amount that the president's going to get. The president makes an appearance. There's going to be people coming out to see that person. Uh, If a congressperson makes an appearance somewhere uh, that's not in their district or in their state, the the, the coverages and and the, the, the people that come out are going to be limited. Okay, so the bully pulpit is just the president's platform, and they have the bigger platform than anybody else. So when the president needs to go to the people, all right, and get support for whatever it is they're trying to get, then they have this platform that no one else has. They can talk directly to us, and they can reach so many more people than a congressperson can. All right, so that's all the bully pulpit is. And so the president might use the bully pulpit to try and you know move the needle on some of their their agenda when Congress is kind of uh, slow playing them or things like that. Uh, maybe it's a, a Supreme Court justice that the president wants to appoint, and the Senate is like, well, we don't really like that person. Well, uh, the president will then go to Twitter. They'll go to their social media accounts. They'll go give speeches, and they'll try and get the people, me and you as the constituents, to say, hey, we like this person. And they'll encourage us to call up our senators and say, hey, you should vote for this person. You should confirm that person. Think about Woodrow Wilson back when the Treaty of Versailles was not signed. He went around the the country speaking all over the place, trying to get people to support his bill, uh, or not his bill, but his treaty that he had got done. All right, the War Powers Resolution, remember, this is going to take power away from the president. It's going to limit their their power and their ability to to make war. Remember, they've got a blank check for the Vietnam War. And then uh, Congress is like, nope, we've got to take that away. And so um, they are going to to do that um, <coughs> with the War Powers Resolution. So it limited the president's power. The veto and the pocket veto. So the veto is pretty easy. Just the president doesn't like something. He doesn't sign it. It's, he, he vetoes it. Uh, it ends the, uh, the, the, the legislation unless Congress is going to overturn that veto. Then the pocket veto. Remember, the pocket veto is the timing is key. So it has to be done. So a pocket veto can only happen if Congress sends the president something within 10 days of them adjourning. All right. If that's the case, then the president can let it sit for those 10 days and it dies. Everything has to be done, signed, sealed, delivered by the end of a congressional session. If not, they have to start all over. So they could have put in 300 hours of work on a bill between writing it up to start, getting it to committee, the committee working on it, having hearings, having talks and discussions uh, on the, um, the, um, um, on the, uh, on the, 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 the bills. And the president can... Sorry, someone came into my room and I completely lost my train of thought. I apologize. Um, so we're talking about the pocket veto. Remember, the timing is important. The president can just let it sit. So everything has to be done. What I, what I, what I was trying to get at was so everything has to be done. And so no matter how much time and effort they put into something, if they send it to the president with less than 10 days, the president has the option to just let it sit and die. Because, once again, everything has to be done and completed by the time Congress leaves. 
okay? Um, <clears throat> and then the president's job approval. Um, just, you know, remember that as the president comes into office, they're typically very popular because they just got elected. And Congress is really willing to work because the constituents like this person. Let's work with the president. Let's see and get their agenda passed and, and make the constituents happy. As the approval rating starts to dip, as the, the term goes on, Congress is less willing to work with them. Okay. All right. Getting into the bureaucracy. So remember, this is the group that's going to uh, work with the president, uh, or excuse me, not work with, but work for the president uh, on getting the, the, the laws enforced. Okay. Uh, the first thing there is the Hatch Act. And we kind of randomly did this on the first day we got into the bureaucracy when we talked about the Pendleton Act and the civil service and all that kind of stuff. And the Hatch Act is just a, a, a law that's going to prohibit bureaucratic agents from participating in politics, basically, okay? They are not supposed to take a side. They're supposed to be neutral. Uh, now, outside, they can, you know, outside of their job, they can kind of do what they want to, for the most part, but they cannot be in their job and use their job uh, to influence politics, all right? Uh, bureaucracy, reset there, bureaucracy responsibilities. Okay, so the big thing that they are supposed to do is implement the laws. So Congress passes a bill, it gets to the president, and then it has to be enforced. Who's going to do that? Well, that is the bureaucracy. The president is not working with every single law to be sure it's implemented. The president relies on the bureaucracy to get stuff implemented. Okay? And so that's that part where here's a bill Here's a new law. Here's a new policy. Whatever it might be, the Congress and the president are relying on the bureaucracy to go out there and implement it. Now, within that, they have the ability to make some rules because the bureaucracy gets these things and they get to interpret. And especially if the president sends no directions, if Congress sends no directions, then the bureaucracy gets to make a decision uh, on a lot of things about what Congress meant by this part. What happened here? You know, the, the, the bureaucracy gets to, to uh, interpret and then they get to write up their policies, which is that rulemaking part. And remember, that's that part that a lot of people question. Is it too much power? Is or should the bureaucracy have this ability? Because, you know, that's kind of a legislative power where they get to, to you know, make up their policies based on the, the law that Congress sends them. So is that overstepping? Is that you know, violating the separation of powers? All right. Uh, the government corporation, remember, this is just the government providing a good or service and getting paid for it uh, versus just providing something for free. Uh, so the Postal Service is a great example. The TVA, Amtrak, all those things are government corporations where, you know, here is a product, here is a service, <clears throat> and you pay the government for it. So the Postal Service, you pay for the stamps and all those sorts of stuff. All right, congressional checks on the bureaucracy. So we said there was two really big things that the that Congress can do. They can uh, control the budget, and they have congressional oversight. Now, there's a few other things they can do. They can completely wipe out an agency if they choose to. So they created most of these agencies to enforce the laws that they passed, and they can also say, you know what? I think we're done. You've run your course, and they could end them. 
They can reorganize. Uh, so they have some options as far as what they want to do. But the easiest and the biggest things they do are control the money. <clears throat> and the con congressional oversight. So let's talk about those two real quick. So the purse, the, the money, you know, the president submits a budget and then Congress goes through it, all right? The agencies have some input and a lot of people in their quiz got mixed up here and they thought that, hey, the agencies can convince Congress to give this money and that sort of stuff. And they have some input, okay? They can go and they can plead their case. But at the end of the day, Congress is gonna take a look. What'd you get last year? What'd you spend last year? All right, if you come in under, then maybe we decrease it. If you came in over, then maybe we increase it. All right, that's going to probably play the biggest role uh, in deciding. Now, that's not the end-all be-all uh, for Congress in deciding how much agencies get, but it's some. All right, but that control, you know, that ability to really say, hey, we are not liking what you're doing. We're going to decrease your budget. That can slowly squeeze the agency. Now, that maybe can be used to convince them, hey, we need to change our ways. Maybe it's a sign that, that the Congress doesn't like us and we need to, to do something different. There's all kinds of things that you can read into that. But the purse and the money is the big thing because the agencies, they can't perform without the money they need. And then the oversight, remember the committees. So we haven't got to Congress yet, but Congress is broken down. Uh, you've got the 435 and the 100. And then to do all this work, they basically break into groups. And that's what the committees are. So the committees are on and in charge of specific areas. All right. So we'll look at these when we get to Congress. But <clears throat> they have bureaucratic agencies. Remember the Iron Triangle. The committees have specific bureaucratic agencies that they kind of oversee and they look over. And so if a bureaucratic agency is not doing something they like, so here's the law. And then the, let's say it's the EPA. EPA gets a, a new uh, environmental law. They decide what they're going to do with it. And Congress is like, well, that's not what we meant when we created this thing. And so they can call in the EPA director and ask him, what's going on? We sent you this law, and you're interpreting it this way. We don't like that. And so they can you know, force the, the EPA to make some changes to that if they really, really wanted to with the congressional oversight. All right, the regulatory agency. So remember, you might also see it as a regulatory commission. So remember um, that... These are independent, okay? Both the independent executive agencies and the regulatory agencies, they are independent. And the big difference is that the regulatory agencies regulate something. So they have the ability and the power um, to regulate um, whatever area they are in charge of. And they are pretty free to do that, okay? Um, they don't have as much oversight from the president because the president can't do much or Congress really, all right, because they are not a part of the cabinet. They're independent, okay, and so they have a lot of leeway when it comes to, to getting stuff done and regulating whatever it might be. Uh, some examples of the regulatory commissions, you know, we went over a few in class, but think about uh, the Federal Reserve, the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission, the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, all those are examples uh, of the, uh, of the, what's it called, of the regulatory agency, okay? Um, last thing, discretionary rulemaking authority, toe in the line of separation of powers. So the, the discretionary rulemaking, all that is is what we were just talking about with the, 
the rulemaking up at the top of this this part of the study guide, the bureaucracy responsibilities and rulemaking, is the fact that Congress sends something to one of the agencies. I used the EPA just earlier. So they send something to the EPA. They send something to the FCC. They send something to the SEC. And then that agency gets to interpret it. And maybe they create some kind of standard that people have to follow, okay, because they have that power and that ability. Because here's the rules from Congress. Here's the laws from Congress. Now we're going to open it up for our own interpretation. So they have that power and that ability. And that's what we're getting at with the discretionary rulemaking. It is the fact that Congress, not Congress, excuse me, the bureaucratic agencies, they have that discretion. They're given that discretion, okay? There's almost no way for Congress to write up all the laws they do and send them off and then go and make sure and check and enforce and do all that kind of stuff. They have to trust the bureaucratic agencies to get this stuff done. They, don't, they almost don't have a choice to get this stuff if they want to get stuff done, they have to let the bureaucratic agencies have this leeway and this uh, that discretion, okay? Uh, and then, you know, going back to what we were talking about, that does toe the line with separation of powers because a lot of these agencies, they get to, to write up their policies, which is a, a power that, uh, you know, Congress has. Uh, and they also get to judge some of the stuff. So they get to decide, hey, we're going to find this person. We're not going to find that person. We're going to press charges here and send this person to jail for this violation. So they have a lot of those powers and those abilities. All right, guys, there is the review. If you have questions, concerns, as always, please reach out to me. Either email, talking points, um, however you need to get a hold of me, feel free to get a hold of me, and let's figure it out together. All right, so we'll review in class on Tuesday the first, and then we're going to test on Wednesday the second. Uh, so be prepared and be ready. And as always, uh, reach out and let me help you if you need it. All right, guys, take care, and I'll see you in class. Bye-bye.